Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and today I'm joined by Leonard. How's it going, Leonard? Hello. I'm good. Yourself, Dave? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, we are absent uh, a Cameron, but um, he'll be back next time. Well, yes, maybe two times, <laughs> depending on the schedule. Well, yes, we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, Australia has once again reclaimed our dear Cameron. Yes, this is it happens sometimes, but that's okay. We will uh, we will move forward accordingly. Um, this episode we are going hammer film adjacent. I guess would be what we're doing. <laughs> Um, we are taking a look at the 1872 uh, gothic novella by um, Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. This is Carmilla, and it will directly relate to what I hope to cover a little bit later. Um, there is a set a trilogy of films, the Karnstein trilogy, um, dealing with Carmilla in particular um, by Hammer Horror. So we will get around to those eventually um and we will find a little bit of a tie-in with uh, our dear old captain chronos um, yes but first we will venture to the east and some yokai of the week of the week <laughs> uh, we are we are come around to letter t once more Dave, as is the custom for Yokai of the Week, will you roll them? 14. The Tofu Kozo. <laughs> I was hoping for this one, actually. So, Leonard, <laughs> who's who's this boy? Uh, 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 Tofu Kozo, or literally Tofu Boy, is a yokai of Japan, uh, well, thank you, um, that takes on the appearance of a child possessing a tray with tofu on it. Uh, it frequently appears in the Ku, Kuza Soshi? Yeah, uh, and uh, Kibi Yoshi and uh, Kai Dan uh, books from the Edo period, uh, and from uh, Bakumatsu uh, to the Meiji period. Uh, people have become familiar with them as a character illustrated on toys such as uh, kites, uh, Shugoroku. And uh, Kurutsa. Uh, Kurutsa. Uh, it's be, a card game. Yeah. Ah, they can be seen uh, in. Uh, you can skip. <laughs> go ahead and skip yep. that part. They're cool. also on pamphlets. Yeah. But um, it's, it's, it's a go. It's a it's a yokai <laughs> child with tofu. Yes. Love love yokai. And p- potentially a large hat. Yes, large bamboo hat. So there, so it's Baby Raiden with tofu. <laughs> uh, here's the summary: They are generally depicted wearing a bamboo and that's a weird sentence. Uh, a bamboo bamboo umbrella um, on their heads and possessing a round tray with momiji tofu 
It's a tofu with an um, autumn leaf shape pressed into it. The patterns ah. on the clothing they wear, uh, for the sake of warding off the, the patterns on <sighs> This is a... Um, <laughs> the clothing they wear has patterns um, for warding off smallpox, and they have also lucky lucky charms, um, such as the Harukoma, which I don't know what that is, uh, Daruma dolls, horned owls, swinging drums, and redfish, and also lattice patterns. Um, the lattice patterns of a child that show its status as a child um, are also <laughs> on their clothes. Yeah, it's uh, the syntax. It's all all wrong. Um, in the original uh, Kuzatoshi, they did not plus the, possess any special powers. So in their, their first tales, they often appear as servants that bring tofu and sake here and there in town. And it is changed in the Sinryu, um poems, uh, such as Tofu Kozu are servant monsters. Um, so I guess they also serve other yokai. Uh, with regards to humans, they sometimes follow humans on rainy nights, but they don't do anything particularly bad, and they usually don't make humans their opponents. They are frequently depicted as amicable, timid, and humorous characters. Far from doing anything bad, they are also exa- there are also examples where they are teased by other yokai for being a weak yokai. In the Heisei era and afterwards, there is also the interpretation that they are appropriate as comforting characters. Uh, also in the Kibyoshi, the um, Bakemono Shuchi Hyobanki uh, is a book. Um, there are weasels that turn into um, Tofu Gozo, so they are also like mimicked, mimicked um, figures. And in later books, their father has been specified to be Mikoshi Nyudo, who we've talked about before. And their mother has been specified to be Rokuro Kubi, so the um, <laughs> stretchy, long-necked lady and the monk that grows super tall if you look at him. Um, <laughs> formed a small child that carries tofu. Uh, in literature from the Showa and Heisei eras and beyond, it is frequently written that they would appear on rainy nights and remind, no, and recommend the relish of tofu to people passing by. Uh, but halfway into eating it, a mold would grow. Great. Um, so a little bit of a trickster. Uh, however, according to the yokai researchers, um, this theory was created after the Showa era in books for children. Um, and in Sakai Minato uh, Totori Prefecture on the Mizuki Shikeru Road, um, it's the hometown and hometown of the yokai painter and manga artist Shigeru Mizuki, which makes sense because it's a road. Uh, next to a restaurant Tofuya, there's a statue of the Tofu Kozo based on one of his illustrations. <laughs> so it's 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 Japanese house elf. It's a, it's almost it's it, it's almost a Japanese house house elf. <laughs> if he just was feeding you tofu, yeah, and doing nothing else. Yep. <laughs> uh, Skip the history part. We're going to cover that in something else. Go to the origin section. Okay. <clears throat> Since they have not been confirmed to appear in folkloricist material, I, that's a new one. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, such as... F- f- such <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me start this one again because it's great. 
since they have not been confirmed to appear in folklore's material, material such as folklore and collections such as the woo-hoo-hoo. Dave, will you take this one? Hyaku Monogatari. There we go. Or legends. They are seen as yokai created from the Edo period. They can generally be seen to be made in the middle of the Edo period or afterward when tofu shops or cellars became common. But the particulars of how they were made and how they suddenly disappeared have not come to light. I'll continue. Uh, I'll continue the next okay. one. Um, in the Kuzazoshi, uh, like what previously mentioned, they were frequently treated as servants. But there were also yokai that appeared earliest that were also servants, such as the Hitotsume, Hitotsume Kozo, that's the one-eyed um, boy, the Amefuri Kozo, uh, the Tanuki and Akapa. Since the Hitotsume Kozo and Akapa have been depicted possessing tofu, there is a theory that these yokai are related to the tofu kozo as well as the theory that the Tofu Kozo were based on these yokai. So it's a more of a circular argument, I guess. Um, in Makenokawa Daikoden, um, published blah, 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 in 1833, there was a Tanuki yokai that wore a um, kasa-wearing clothes that had tofu depicted on them, giving an example that hints at the existence of Tofu Kozo <clears throat> as early as 1833, or as late as 1833. And how you look at it. Uh, and when the Hyaku Monogatari Kaidan Kai was becoming popular, there is the theory that they were made by individuals who were requested to tell Kaidan stories about the yokai that was not known throughout society yet. So they were spreading the good word about the Tofu Kozo. Um, <laughs> as well as the view that uh, Hasegawa Setan's paintings in the Edo Meisho Zue, since Tofu sellers depicting, were depicting wearing kasa, that tofu kozo are the, are the result of changing tofu sellers in plain clothing into children with gaudy clothing to sell more tofu. Um, furthermore, tofu kozo can be seen to be related to tofu shops in the Edo period, and there are also theories that they were born from some incident related to tofu shops, or that they were a character made up by the tofu business in order to promote their sales. So mm. again, sell that tofu with a cheeky lad. Um and I guess I'll try to read this part. Uh, based on the folk belief that the Totsume Kozo liked tofu, and since there was the card in the Yokai Karuta, the Yokai card game called Boy with His Tongue Out Licking a Tofu, as well as the Senryu poems such as Behind the Tofu Shop, there is a one-eyed boy, and Tofu Kozo are the one-eyed fellows wearing kasa. It has been pointed out that the Tofu Kozo would thus be no more than an alternate name for this Hitotsume Kozo. So they're just conflating the one-eyed yokai with the tofu yokai. And <laughs> since there are many tofu kozo that don't have one eye, there is also the claim that denying that they are the same as the hitotsume kozo. Sometimes they have two eyes, so they're obviously not the hitotsume kozo. Uh, and that Tofu Kozo and Hitotsume Kozo were created separately. In any case, there are many parts that are still unclear, and there is still research going on about how Tofu Kozo developed. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia article. Um, however, it turns out that we also have an entry from the Hour of Meeting Evil Spirits. We haven't, <laughs> consult we haven't consulted this one in a while by uh, good old Matthew uh, Mayer. All right, Tofu Kozo, translation, 
Tofu Priest Boy. Habitat. Urban areas. Diet. Omnivorous. Loves tofu. <laughs> Appearance. Tofu Kozo are small yokai who resemble human children except for their large head and clawed fingers and toes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that. It's always my favorite when, <laughs> when, when it's, it looks like a small child except for all these things that don't make it look like a small child at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they wear little boys' kimonos and wide-brimmed hats, the typical outfit of tofu-selling boys of the Edo period. There are they are usually depicted with two eyes, but in some illustrations they appear as having one eye. They are <laughs> usually found in urban areas in close proximity to people. Behavior: Tofu kozo are timid and weak yokai. They are not known to be aggressive toward humans. On rare occasion, tofu kozo may follow people home on a ready night. However, for the most part, they shy away from any confrontation. Interactions. Tofukozo are first and foremost servant yokai. Even among other yokai, they are bullied and teased for their lack of strength. They get they get no respect. No respect. respect. <laughs> At most, they act as menial servants to powerful yokai. And there was my <clears throat> horribly bad um, Rodney Dangerfield impersonation. Um, origin. Tofukozo's origin is a mystery. Prior to the Edo period, there are no known stories about them. Some say that they are just one of many forms taken by an Itachi. So that's the weasel, the shape-shifting <laughs> weasel yokai. Explained it. Um, others say that Tofu Kozo are the offspring of a Mikoshin Yudo and a Rokuro Kubi. Another possibility is that they are an invention of the creative artist looking to sell illustrated storybooks. Stories of <laughs> Tofu Kozo first appeared in the penny novels and pulp fiction of Edo in the 1770s. They became popular among the Edo upper class. These silly stories helped spawn the explosion of yokai-related fiction that appeared in the latter half of the 18th century. Tofu Kozo bears a strong resemblance to another yokai called Hitotsume Kozo, so the one-eyed boy. The chief difference is that Hitotsume Kozo has only one eye and large tongues, <laughs> while Tofu Kozo has two eyes and carry a plate of tofu. Both these yokai are weak, childlike creatures. They act as messengers to powerful, to more powerful monsters. In some literature, the two yokai are interchangeable. It has been suggested that Tofu Kozo may be closely related to or may even have been copied from Hitotsume Kozo. However, there is not enough evidence either way to say for sure. I think we covered this, or one of us did, in our brief Neo uh, episodes. Yes. Um, it wouldn't have been the Tofu Kozo, but I think I talked about the Hitotsume Kozo, who, while in this, the Tofu Kozo is, um, descended from the, um, Mikoshi Nyudo, in the game, the Hitotsume Kozo turns into, basically, the Mikoshi Nyudo. Yes, uh, when you, they give you, you a lick. When they, they lick you enough to get enough energy from your body to transform into a larger, more superior, not weak yokai. Um, yes. Yes, but the tofu kozo does not take your tofu. I think he just gives you, he just gives you some tofu that <laughs> may or may not be moldy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trick mold tofu. He's a, he's a tricky boy. Um, so I'm going to revise uh, my previous statement of of that their house, their Japanese house elves, 
and uh, they are in fact just Japanese minions. That's that's <laughs> what. That's. The, yeah, I guess if you're doing the um, Hitotsume Gozo, definitely. I think by just putting them together and ha- making them work together, this is exactly what we. This is this that's is just Japanese. what we we were given. This is this is what we deserve. <laughs> yes, this is what we do. It's what we deserve. <laughs> papoy, papoy. Or whatever they say. I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Whatever those hit hit social zeitgeist characters, the minions say or do. Yeah. Oh, man. I feel real bad in myself now. It's because I invoked minion. It's too late. <laughs> Uh, but but you know what? Late. Just 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 one quick thing. They just make one last Minions movie, and it's just hey, surprise! You're just yokai. That's that's actually what's been happening this entire time. You know that big origin story that we gave you in your solo movie? Not not applicable anymore. You're just yokai now. No, they evolved. They evolved along with mankind. I saw it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay, that was yokai of the week. Go get some tofu. <laughs> Boy with his tongue out looking at tofu. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, on to vampires because that's yes. what Carmilla is. Sort of, sort of. There <laughs> don't, is, don't want to bury the lead on that one. Surprise, yeah, we're not, we're not. Vampires. surprise, uh-huh. vampires, and more specifically, and uh, Ulpire. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but that's the that's what it looks like when I'm reading it. <laughs> it's um, yeah. So, as we mentioned, this is an older. We're going back in time a little bit, um, back to 1872. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you wouldn't, you would not guess it from the. I mean, it's it's a gothic novel, but <laughs> it might as well have been. It could have been contemporary, and I, this has been adapted like many, many times, many times. Yes, in fact, I did not read the the novel. I settled on the um, excellent. If you are limited in time, there is an excellent uh, BBC Radio Four audio drama that was produced in uh, uh, 2003 um, that includes a a horror favorite to those in the know, uh, uh, David Warner, uh, who I'm sure Dave is very familiar with. (laughs) Nope, no, no. No. I'd have to to look him up. Uh Probably am. I'm absent-minded these days. <laughs> yes, yes, in your old age, all of God. all of all of that, all of that, uh, uh, all of those uh, esoteric texts you've been uh, amassing recently have have ruined you. <laughs> They've turned my brain to tofu. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, tell us what is Carmilla about? What? Oh, I was gonna say, what is what is Carmilla? <laughs> Truly. So Carmilla is about a um 
a, a minor well-to-do family um, that is living in Europe, and they, uh, the youngest daughter of whom encounters um, another young lady uh, through some misadventure and happenstance. And in the end, it turns out that her house guest was, in fact, a vampire the whole time. <laughs> the end. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. That, that, that's literally, that's all that happens. It's very straightforward. Um, uh, although I will, although I will give, give this novel credit, uh, they introduced some um, next level vampire scheme tech into into the equation that i i rather appreciated oh yeah this, this the the things that carmilla pulls off and then the nature of her vampirism is quite a bit different um than what we find a few years later in um good old bram stoker's dracula yes this is about almost 30 years earlier um this this uh, when this was written um yeah. yeah, so that's that's the the long and short of the synopsis. Um, yes. We'll take a look, I think, at the a little bit more view of the more specifics. And there's a lot of um, little side notes that the, the novel kind of diverges here and there, um, giving... It's not really even backstory. It's like sort of fleshing out um, the the environment without going too far in saying that they're just basically in a little uh, European, um, it's a schloss, it's a, like a castle, like a manor. Ah. Um, and that the surrounding village is, is the, the main, the main character, our narrator, uh, is reminiscing, um, of events about, I think it's like 10 years in the past for her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as she's narrating it, she's 28 years old. And then the story that's the main events take place when she's 18. Um, and also when she was like six. So that's right. a little weird. But um, yeah, she's just giving us a history of uh, some crazy events um, that formed her view on, I don't know, vampires. <laughs> Society, who knows? Um, yeah. th- things you don't do, um, as in randomly uh, house guesting someone you do not know for three months. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. Out in the countryside where there's nobody. So, yes, her father uh, was a. Uh, he's, he's retired on a pension and he bought a. Um, like a little a manor estate um, out in the countryside yes. in in Europe. They're originally from England, um, and they they speak English, but also a, a spattering of German and French. And her the the, the narrator, her two um, governesses, governesses, um, matrons. I don't I don't know what else to call them. Um, her caretakers. They, yes. one of them speaks like mostly French and English. I think the other one's German and English. Um, that's and then, interesting. I I will say that this is that's the first divergence from the the uh, mm. the audio drama uh, because she only has one um, caretaker in the in the 
a yeah. radio drama. I think there's been there was three originally, but the, that's because the story bounces around. Yeah, time, time periods. Yeah. yeah. So maybe when she was 18, she only had the one. I know it, <laughs> it does mention specifically just the one governess at that mm-hmm. time. Um, one of them, I think, was visiting, um, teaching her <clears throat> school, schooling, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, so and our protagonist's out- name is Laura. Yeah, it... <sighs> Sometimes, apparently, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it it says her name, but she's since she's narrating, she doesn't say right her name. (laughs) (laughs) Although I would more, I would love (laughs) Laura. Then Laura then woke up, and I said, (laughs) "Yeah, I think it's it's only when she's talking about her father, talking about her, Um, right? Will it it mention it? Um, But uh, so." The novel, I mean, the, the general occurrence of this is in her 18th year. Um, she is just kind of, she's an only child. She's spoiled to a point by her father, but I don't think any of her, her general demeanor um, has been like curtailed by um, <clears throat> her governess. And she's, she's fairly... She's like a straightforward young woman. She doesn't have yes. anything. She's fairly normal. I don't know. <laughs> not not spoiled. Didn't she says she's spoiled? But I don't think that it doesn't come across in the narrative. Um, right. She seems she's, well put together. Yeah. She she she's she's lived she's lived a charmed life, but she isn't arrogant or mean or or yes. Once yeah. again, spoiled by the 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 luxury that she's existed in. No, and um, some of that luxury I think is put down to uh, her father's pension when he's she's talking. She does, there's a <clears throat> not a large um, emphasis on it, but um, when they moved to where their home is, um, uh, and I think it's Styria, uh, it um, the area around there is pretty poor, um, mm-hmm. and their money goes a long way. It's like you've taken your, your, you're not super upper class, but you've moved to a poorer area. So your money is just worth more, which is, right. I think is the thing. So they're not, they're not incredibly rich. They just have enough and more, far more in comparison to like the general uh, populace. Right. Um, so them being well off, they, uh, she, her, her days are just kind of filled with, she just kind of plays around. Doesn't really do yep. anything. Leisure. Yeah, just leisure. Leisure life. <laughs> yeah. Would that we all could have such a leisure life. Um Well, to and... be fair, people died at 28 back then. They, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you no, know, it's all about that give and take. Um yeah. she is out uh <clears throat> on a moonlit stroll, I believe, with her governess and her father. Um they're just admiring the scenery as you do because there's nothing else to do out there. So <laughs> a moonlit walk is perfectly fine. Um, and they hear uh, a, a carriage coming mm-hmm. coming toward them in the dark, like along the path in the darkness. And because it is dark and the carriage is going at a great speed, it um, hits a route, I believe, or something in the road. And... Mm-hmm sort of 
it doesn't crash. It just ends up tossing out um, one of its occupants <laughs> yeah. onto the ground, and, and um, it's, a, it's a, they find a uh, <clears throat> this is a young woman by the name of Carmilla. Yes, and she is, I guess, unconscious but faking, totally faking it. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> injured, uh, yeah. allegedly injured to some degree yes yes but also because she's um frail she she uh like passed out from the yes injury um as with laura carmilla also has um attendance and her her mother um who is on a secretive uh hush hush um journey and needs to get to where they're going very fast and can't spare the time to make sure her daughter gets put into like a hospital or something, mm-hmm. some sort of medical attention. So she, <laughs> they see this, they happen to the, see this, you know, small little family that appears to be <clears throat> not villagers. And it occurs to them to, hey, well, we'll, we'll lend you our daughter. Like, you can watch over her for, I'll, I'll be back in about three months. Yeah. So just take care of her. We'll be back. Um, ta-ta. And then they just, like, go away really fast. They just leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. She really needed to get those uh, Death Star plans to the Rebels. Yeah. So they were just, they could not be there any longer. Um, so with that, uh, Carmilla is um, introduced to the household. Yes. And becomes fast fast friends with our uh with our eighteen year old Laura. Super friendly. Um Yep. Yeah. They're they're super best close closest friends ever. And it turns out that Carmilla is um exceedingly affectionate, um, lavishing Laura with, with kisses and um niceties and all kinds of all kinds of things um but uh due to her her frail nature um <clears throat> often uh cloisters herself in her her the guest room that she's been provided and the door is locked at night because she's afraid of thieves sneaking in yep is the excuse given She's like, I know your guys' house is great, but I'm afraid of thieves, so I'm totally locking the door. That's a that's a, also another interesting change from the audiobook, seeing as you know, since it's not the written word, and you need the actress to to play the part. Uh, a lot of it involves uh, uh, Laura and Carmilla being out, but Carmilla being easily fatigued all of the time <laughs> she's like oh i've been walking for five minutes yeah let's take a rest let's just oh let's just lie down no oh, it's rough it's rough being frail and rich in austria <laughs> yeah that, that occurs in the, the novel too um it's mostly <laughs> at, at night that she's locked herself in her room ah uh, but allegedly well, locked her allegedly. in her room so um Laura also Laura and her family they're they're fairly um uh they're fairly religious uh yes. and those things are anathema to Carmilla Carmilla 
right she's she's early to bed and early to rise i guess as the saying goes um or no sorry early to bed and late late to rise she gets up yes. around like one o'clock um, <laughs> yeah which is well after the morning prayers have been said and she goes to she retires to her room uh well before the evening prayers are said mm-hmm. um and laura makes a point to say that she's never seen her kneeling in prayer or doing devotions or anything like that um However, the 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 family's religion and their practice are not. Um, I don't see it as like all pervasive or or uh, something they do all the time. It's just the things they do in parts of the day. Yes, it, it does. It doesn't inform or color like their general behavior. Um, right. Other than them accepting someone into their house um, because they're injured um, without knowing yeah. them. <clears throat> that part's weird. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so, um, yes, yeah, she's, she's, she's active for a small periods of the day, but it is during the daylight. Uh, and yes. she does, as, as you mentioned, often go out with Laura. They, there's nothing else to do. So they, they read some books and then they go for short walks little jaunts around the, the gardens and the countryside and as you mentioned Carmilla has to stop every five feet um, and, <laughs> and rest and um, although the 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 book takes time or takes mention takes the time to mention um, that she is physically fatigued she's never mentally fatigued so she's not um, she's not given to like sighs and lamentations about her condition she's actually fairly animated and um her her mental level her state of how she carries herself is above laura yes um she's uh, she's physically of the same age but mentally clearly not right yes and she's she's constantly like lavishing Laura with like little poems and just closeness like more than yeah, Laura, yeah. I think was uh, willing to she, she kind of has she feels like she has to kind of suffer through Carmilla's attentions um, and the novel because it's not it's not an it's not an actual physical narrative um Laura, there's more time given to uh, what her thoughts are. Yes. And primarily, primary among those thoughts is a sort of warring uh, attraction and kind of a hatred of mm-hmm. Carmilla. She, she feels herself like enjoying the attentions, but also one, uncomfortable, and two, it's <clears throat> something about Carmilla is off. And right. she doesn't know what it is, uh, aside from this horrendous nightmare that she had um, as, like, a six-year-old child where <laughs> Carmilla had um, snuck up upon her, her bed and gave her the old midnight snacking. Yep. Um, which she sees as a dream uh, and as part of Carmilla's insinuation into this relationship um, Carmilla tells her, oh, you know, when, when we first met, it's just like, I, I, you're familiar to me. I've met you in a dream uh, when I was, when I was six years old. And she's like, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I woke in, or I was dreaming and found myself at your bedside. Um, and we just like 
snuggled. Um, and yeah, then, we said, hey. Then I got scared and left and I crawled under the bed. <laughs> and that's basically what happened from Laura's point of view, aside from also getting bit on the, the, the chest. Um, yes. And being horrified by Carmilla's frightening countenance. <laughs> yeah. It, so, so yeah, once again, you know, the red flags, the horror, the horror red flags that every, everyone that's seen two horror movies can, can pick up on, which is, oh yeah, I remember that dream from like over a decade ago where I just found myself by your bed and we said, hey, um, nothing else happened, even though you clearly recalled me biting you, but nope, we're besties. Let's go. Oh, I feel rejuvenated now. Let's go continue this walk for five. Yeah, if I, if I have five more minutes. Um, and as their as their visits, uh, as the the three months um, time period grows, ever not longer as it passes, as time continues to pass, um, <laughs> Carmilla uh, becomes more sprightly in her demeanor. Um, if not her actual physical condition has not really um, increased. Uh, however, uh, Laura is curiously enough um, degrading in her physical condition, becoming more tired. Um, uh, her, her her features sallow and um, becoming sick. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but there has been repeated um, young women and general women in general in the local vicinity um dying dying yes uh sudden deaths um generally becoming sick for about three days and then passing away yeah um all while previously having been in the 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 phrase escapes me um they have been very hale and hearty um prior to that so they, they had no history of sickness they just got sick quickly and died yes um and that's curious. And so <laughs> Laura is aware of this. Their household is aware of this. There has been repeated sightings of ghostly figure, a ghostly young woman um, a- around the the neighboring village and around the lands of the, the Schloss, um, who doesn't look at all like Carmilla, but nope. actually does. <laughs> Not even trying to hide it. Yep. And that can't be the case because Carmilla is locked in her room at night. She couldn't possibly be outside biting people. And she's so frail. And she's so frail. She could she could not make it. She can't walk more than ten feet without having to sit down. Have yeah. a good old good she's old like sit a, down. Like a porcelain doll. With like super nice hair, because the novel, yeah, yeah. The, novel, the novel takes like an entire two paragraphs to talk about how Laura <laughs> really likes Carmela's hair and can just continually playing with it and braiding it and just having a good old time, like lots of weighty golden tresses. Um, although since the novel is told in hindsight, um, there's there's constant remarks like I loved the the hair was so great, but if only I knew then what <laughs> I knew now I wouldn't have been playing with her hair quite so much. <laughs> right. I guess it's like a like a sort of a backhanded compliment. Like I just love your hair. If only you weren't a vile night demon. Yep. 
so um then we meet so we meet the Montebank, who is a, a charlatan that um sells suspicious medicines and performs dentistry and charms snake oil salesman that is also a dentist how interesting yeah um, he's and he's a hunchback <laughs> so basically so ba- all, all i could think of was captain Kronos, and <laughs> I, I was just imagining professor grost just yes offering to I would... file down carmilla's pointy needle teeth <laughs> I was thinking uh, this guy is sure to be some sort of uh, level up uh, vendor or uh, or or upgrade path in Darkest Dungeon Two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that also brings another point. So uh, literal point, um, no pun intended. <laughs> that Carmilla has pointy needle teeth. Um, yep. Or at least her canines are, and that they don't. It's not a case of like them becoming pointy to feed. They are just already super sharp and needle pointy yeah. just all the yes. time. And the, the Montebank is saying, I'll file down those choppers um, because surely they're hurting you. Um, mm. It's all very like tongue in cheek. And the character, he serves a purpose, but yes, it's also like out of place with the rest of the characters in the novel. It's a little weird. Um, yeah. As far as his, his uh, brief um, occurrence in the novel is, but what he does is provide both Carmilla and Laura with um, protective charms, uh, which ha- they are specifically, and he, he calls this out um, in the novel. Um, I, I have it pulled up. Uh, will your ladyships be pleased to buy an amulet against the Ulpire, which is going like the wolf I hear through these woods? He says, dropping his hat on the pavement. They are dying of it right and left, and here is a charm that never fails, only pinned to the pillow, and you may laugh in his face. They are charms of oblong slips of vellum with cabalistic ciphers and diagrams upon them. And <laughs> Carmilla took no pain. She purchased it immediately she loves yep. this little charm so obviously it does a great job in getting rid of <laughs> yep um no instead uh carmilla uses this as a a way to ease laura's fears because at this point she's already feeding on her yeah um, exactly so it it basically allows Laura to sleep easier, which allows Carmilla to sneak in and take a bite um, without worrying about Laura waking up and having to excuse it all as a dream, which Mm. doesn't matter anyway, because Carmilla also turns into a crazy wolf thing made of weird mist um, and doesn't appear to care if Laura (laughs) sees her one way or the other. She's just going to do what she's going to do. I, I I actually kind of really enjoyed uh, that sequence, uh, listening to the radio drama because it really is described just just like that. Like big cat monster bites me, I I I, I startle, and then there's a woman that I can't quite make out, and then she just phases through the door, and I'm like, oh wow, just complete and utter lack of of, of subtlety. Oh yeah, right she there. does. She, she does not, and then. Carmilla um, 
So we get like that, yeah, I said wolf, but it's cat cat thing, uh, sort of a mist form and then a blob. There's also a weird, she could just be a blob. Yeah. An amorphous blob that bites you um, <laughs> and is almost intangible. Um, and she can teleport. There's that yeah. too. Like that occurs later when she's being hunted, sort of. Uh, and she just like slips your grasp and appears completely somewhere else. Um, yep. So she has that cool vampire power. Um, she does not, uh, as we've mentioned, she's going about the daylight. So daylight's not a thing. Uh, her, I think her, her one fatal weakness is she cannot um, withstand uh, having her head chopped off. That's the thing. Yep. And yeah, she yeah. also prayers and <clears throat> hymns, liturgies, general religious um, tra- trappings um, make her ill. Like they just yes. bug her. She doesn't like them. Um, that's kind of it. As far as her, well, and and she does, she does need on occasion, and it it may be daily. She needs to sleep in her coffin. Oh yes. So she basically just she locks her room at the at the the schloss, teleports herself to the old Konstein um, castle, which is right around the corner. Uh, yep <laughs> conveniently uh mm-hmm. and 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 goes to sleep in her blood river casket yeah so it's a it's a it's a coffin like a st- i think it's a stone um the stone kind not really a coffin mm. uh, uh sarcophagus i guess Whatever you, you know, you go to the graveyard and there's people and it's not a coffin. It's just a stone oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like filled with several inches of blood and she just yep. sleeps in like a bloody bath. She sleeps in a bath. But it's not milk, it's blood. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, uh, it's, it's a blood filled sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah. And she loves it. <laughs> yep. Uh, which explains why people have been seeing a mysterious ghost right at dawn break for the last <laughs> two and a half months. Yeah, because she's been having to <laughs> run back to the um, <laughs> fish loss and like jump in the sheets and pretend she was asleep. Yep. Well, she doesn't even need to do that. No, because she, she doesn't, doesn't get, get up, up until, until one o'clock. One. But that's just <laughs> that's just how it worked out. And I think that also describes the few times that Laura f- saw her as if in a dream. And then um, Carmela is just like covered in blood. But yeah. it's probably because she just got out of her little bloodbath. Yeah. Bed. Blo- well, it's not a water. It's a blood bed. It's like a water bed. It's, 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 it's blood bed bath and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> um. Then we, we get we retreated to a bit of history um, of Carmilla, mm-hmm. and let me see if I have pulled up what else. I don't know what else I pulled up here. Um, oh well, um, Laura's father, uh, or rather his 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 deceased wife, um, his dearly departed wife, had a 
predilection for collecting old um, portraits and other works of art. And these things have just been um, transferred to the Schloss. Uh, yes. And a restorer comes and like cleans everything up and lo and behold they randomly have a picture of Mirkala the Countess Karnstein uh, from 1698 yes and he mistakenly refers to this as a painting of uh, Marcia or Mar mm -hmm. Marcia Marcia maybe Marcia and However, um, Carmilla is there, and she's like, no, fool, how about you take a look at the picture again? There's obviously a little uh, little gold writing thing, little plaque on there, and it says it's not Marsha, it's Mirkala. Get my name right. I mean, get her name right. Mm -hmm. And this... They, they go to explain what Carmilla is doing, doing as far as her name changing over the course of the novel uh, specific to the opire or the vampires in this lore. The, they, they are through some means or another through their vampiric nature are forced to continue to use their, their name they were born with. They can't just make up another name. Um, they have to use it but they can anagram it to pieces yep. and um, better hope he didn't have a short name um, <laughs> or something that didn't have a lot of vowels. I don't know. So she gets, she gets labeled with a few different um, versions of uh, Mirkala, Carmilla. I think there's another one. I don't remember what it was. Um, and we see this uh, in the delightful, um, anagram of Dracula and Alucard. Um, yes. I think that itself is a nod probably to this um, Carmilla. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't put it past him using that because that's a, <clears throat> a... It's not something you see in other um, vampire literature that I'm aware of. The, the, the vampires just keep using the same name the whole time. Right. Or just versions of that same name, but like they're forced to do that. Like you can't <laughs> call yourself something else. Um, <laughs> so it's a little, <clears throat> it's a little contrived, I think. And so that, that part of it is explained like <clears throat> in the last paragraph, it's like the last, the closing of the book is when, we're 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 actually we get a lot of exposition and stuff just like randomly explained to the reader like thanks I could have <laughs> used that earlier but um I guess you're just gonna wrap everything up real quick. Uh, uh, I'd like uh, to introduce new our brand new Olpire uh, Ted. Uh, unfortunate that your name is Ted. You will fit, need to figure out a way to deviate that for yeah. uh, the rest of eternity. <laughs> And like, well, you get to be debt this this decade. <laughs> edit, good my boy, my good buddy. Edit, he's not yeah. strange. Yeah, just call me Ed T. Yeah, <laughs> is that short for something? Yeah. Nope. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure it is. Oh, oh man, but I can't tell you what it's short for. 
uh, this is, I'm I'm pretty sure that after the podcast so is over, I'm like, yeah, let's see what I can what I could possibly do. Nope, it's all garbage. Every Leonard does not does not <laughs> rearrange into anything decent. Oh well, no old pyre for me. Well, Cameron might be luckier. I, I yeah, to, I'm stuck. <laughs> There's not much you can turn my name into either. Yeah. Um, so good thing that her name is long and can be rearranged a little bit. Um, however, all the names sound like garbage, um, even for <laughs> Carmilla. And that's a thing that was like, <clears throat> I I took umbrage with that. I was irked the entire time. Every time one of her new versions of her name came up, I'm like, this is so stupid. <laughs> and then it explains it explains it away at the very end. They like... Um, it's not even retroactively because it's it's within the novel, but still at the very end, they were like, actually, there's a reason why she had all those goofy names um, and she couldn't just have called herself like Joanna or something um, <clears throat> or Edith um, mm-hmm. because she's forced to. She's the vampire lore says that um, uh, by edict, you have to use your own name forever. You can just rearrange the letters. I'd like to imagine that that the result of of them not using their real name is that they just burst into flames the minute that they give like a fake name. Like that's the that's the vampire like comeuppance for them. Like, okay, you get to exist in sun, you only have to sleep in like kind of like a little blood mausoleum. You get tired during the day, but if you <laughs> lie about what your name is, you're dead. Or just like start crying bloody tears. I would also like yeah. that. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong? You're tearing up. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we had we 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 had to we had to get it in there somehow, folks. We had to we had to get that reference in there somehow. Yep, <laughs> that's how we do. It's a good song. Um, it is. So what? Uh, oh, it turns out that. Um, the Laura's father's bestie, um, yeah, the, yeah, the general, um, general, general Spieseldorf, Spieseldorf, Spieseldorf. Um, he was going to send his daughter, or he's going to come for a visit, uh, and bring his same age daughter with him, and Laura would have a friend to hang out with. Uh, however, that did not work out, and he ends instead of sending himself, he sends a letter saying that um, his daughter is dead. <laughs> Bertha Reinfeldt, um, oh no, sorry, it's not, it's not his daughter, it's his niece, um, did not make it. She died uh, a few days after she got sick. Yep. Surprise. Uh, it turns out, we're just gonna just jump into it, I think, that um, the good old general, he had gone to a... Uh, masquerade like a masquerade ball uh, mm-hmm. with his niece and at the ball um his niece and he himself in fact ran into a uh a mother daughter pair um yep that were masked masked and dancing uh and the the younger of the the daughter of the two um it was hard to tell because of her mask, but she was making goo eyes at uh, Bertha um, <clears throat> the entire time of the dance. 
and mm-hmm. he was a little thrown off by that, but he couldn't tell because she had a mask on. So he was like, maybe she's not doing that. Can't tell. Um, however, the, the, the mother, um, I don't remember the Duchess or something who was calling her, um, approached him and, uh, said that she has to go on a super secret mission. Uh, yes. and if his, if he wouldn't mind because they have known each other before, um, in the past at several occasions they've met, um, but because of her super secret mission, she can't take off her mask to prove that she's someone that knows him aside from knowing his name and other and being at the, yes. Yeah. Being in all those different, I mean, it's like they were, they were high profile, like places that you right. can't just, you can't just walk into. You have to be fancy. Um, so using that as an excuse to whittle uh, to, to, to whittle out a promise of guardianship for her daughter, um, she said she'll be back in three weeks. So not not months this time, but three weeks. And uh, if he could just watch over her frail daughter for that time, that'll give Bertha someone to hang out with. And then she'll be back in a few weeks to pick her up. And it would right. be great. Um, well, Bertha dies. They did not, the visit did not go well. Um, the general has now gone. He's not, he's not mad. He's just angry. He's angry with grief. He, he's literally, yes, and vengeance. Grief and vengeance. And grief and vengeance against all vampires because he f- found out um, that his daughter was the victim of a vampire. And that, that vampire was um, Mirkala, I think is who. I think she was going under her old name, I think. No, Milarka. Yes. She Milarka. <laughs> she changed it changed, she changed it up just a little bit. Milarka. It, it, it's too it's too close to Malarkey. I can't I can't do it. It's not even like a real name. Like <laughs> it's, it's it's not, but the fact that it is so Malarkey adjacent and that's her yeah. fake name is really fantastic. Um, so that uh, that actually is different in the radio drama as well. Oh, good. How um, does that happen? What happens? Uh, it, they literally pull the sk- k- same carrot scam. <laughs> they, that's why I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is the new vampire tech, which is carriage accident into let you let you recuperate into my house yeah well i think that's what happens she says um her daughter had a carriage accident and had a her leg is broken or something ah that's why she that's why she's just sitting instead of dancing at the ball she's hurt her leg um but there's no like you don't see the accident they're just using that as an excuse Uh, Um, yeah there's no there's no masquerade ball it is literally that boring yeah, they witnessed the carriage accident happen happen again. Uh, and then let's see the 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 good old general. Um, he's all I can think of is that stupid insurance commercial. Um, <laughs> the general, along with his best friend Shaquille O'Neal, um, hunt down <laughs> so many vampires. So many. That's their. That's their other job they do. Um, you've, you've just made. You've just. You've just given somebody an idea. Someone in the future, Dave, who's listening <laughs> to this, has now started writing the next great screenplay. So yeah, darn. I won't be able to capitalize on it. Um, no, he says that uh, he ran into. 
a Moravian noble. Some other dude ran into a dude that um, knows about vampires. How did I look at the wrong? I, I, I like a screenshotted pages, and then maybe on the wrong one. Um, great podcasting. Uh, Are we talking about the 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 magic sword that he gets? No, this was. Uh, oh no, this is okay. I'm looking at the wrong account. So anyway, the general has been hunting Carmilla. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he meets up with, um, I think it was a weird coincidence. He meets up with Laura and her father after Carmilla has disappeared. Yes. Cause Carmilla just vanishes. At it's, some I think point. It's, it's not even explained. Like, I don't even think it talked about that. She was gone. She just suddenly wasn't in the house anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the, they went to like, it's, I think it's like a plot hole. Like I didn't, I don't recall seeing anything about her just not being there. They just start talking feel, about her like she's gone. It it feel well, at least as far as the radio <laughs> drama goes, it feels like uh, her disappearance coincides with everyone just being like, "This girl's a vampire." We're all pretty. Are hey everybody, everyone in the house? Are we all on the same page with um, Carmela's a vampire? And everyone's like, "Yeah, no, she's totally a vampire." And then she's just oh, and then they open the door and they're like, "Oh, and she's also gone." So, uh, yeah, that, that may be the case that she's just like, "I got to get out of here." There, yep. my goose is gonna be cooked. Yep. Um. So yeah, Carmela is gone. Um. And this is after them finding out that she really isn't probably in her room at night. <laughs> There's a little yeah. bit of a, a kerfluffle um, that happens and uh, they open her locked door uh, to find that she's not there. And then she just shows back up in the morning going, oh, I was just sleeping in the um, I, w- I sleepwalk and I yeah. unlocked my door. Somehow locked it back from the inside because the locks on the inside. Um, and then I woke up in like the little day room and here, surprise, here I am. I'm not gone. Um, yep. And then she's gone. Uh, but <laughs> Laura and her father and the governess um, all meet up with uh, the general who has, he's been telling that they're, they decide to, because we mentioned the Karnstein uh, estate like the remains because it's all ruined. Um, the remains of it are nearby and yep. they're like, well, let's go look there. <laughs> um, Cause that sounds like a good place to go check out. But uh, they just happen to bump into the general um, on the way. And the, the, the walk's not a short one. So they, he, he takes that time to backstory, like narrate the backstory of how he um, lost his niece and how he met um, Carmilla and surprise, surprise, all of the symptoms and these basically the circumstances of what happened with Carmilla and uh, with Laura um, are repeated exactly <clears throat> with um, uh, Bertha. Yes. With, with an exception that uh, because of Carmilla's uh, previous encounter, I think, with Laura and mm-hmm. the her predetermining the, the three months because that's obviously premeditated she's like i'm gonna be here for three months um period of time her interest in laura is maybe the greatest out of all of the she doesn't 
because of the way the vampires are portrayed here and then what what as i as we mentioned like everything's kind of just dumped on the reader at the very end yeah um vampires fall in love or lust or hunger whatever you want to call it um with certain people it's not everybody mm-hmm. um and uh their general victims they do feel that for but it's at a lesser it's not as strong and they just right. kill them that's why they're done in three days uh however um certain people they're attracted to far more greatly and that's the case with laura where she's not just killing her immediately um and and even i, I wish i had saved the um the page but there's a passage where uh, carmilla is sort of uh obsessed with death as well mm-hmm. she has a fixation uh rightly so i guess because she's just killing people willy-nilly um with death and it's it's permanence and that life is a fleeting thing and uh she just likes girls like a lot mm-hmm. um and she like she like the she's like giving these poems to to Laura and basically uh sort of courting her that's right. that's, that's what's happening here um and telling Laura that they'll be together forever um potentially she could be trying to turn laura into a vampire but yes that that's up in the air because of how vampires are formed in this world like how Mm -hmm. how carmilla may have come come to be um but in doing so she's trying to get her not to be afraid of dying yeah (laughs) and she's telling laura that um, I want to be, you know, I want you to be with me all always. And I want you to die for, she literally tells her, I want you to die for me. Like die, die, I need you to die. And you know, in doing that, you will, um, you will be together with me and we will be one of one mind and body. Like it's vaguely romantic and a horribly sinister Gothic or I guess not gothic, but goth <laughs> kind of way. Yes. Um, yes. It's yeah. So their their relationship is framed at the the the, the contemporary at the time um, view uh, on these women's relationship is is like it's it's explicit in how everything's being presented here it's presented as like a monstrous horrible thing right a deadly thing where you you don't this actually kills you like literally kills you to do this this thing um so it's presented in a bad light but um at times carmilla can feel sympathetic it's a weird I think the author does a good job in um, portraying Laura's unease and attraction to Carmilla. Yes. Like it's, it's it, that part of it is handled well, where the reader is going like Carmilla's a baddie, but maybe it's okay. And then you're like, well, she's killing every, you know, you're kind of just, mm, yeah. Um, she's obviously kind of a jerk, but she, she clearly feels she has feelings for Laura and they're not, they're not, um, she doesn't make them up. She's not, right. she's falsifying a lot of things and, but their feelings aren't one of them. Right. Right. 
and um, and and I think the predation of of the townsfolk near the estate uh, kind of highlights that as well because she's not feeding exclusively on Laura. She's she's feeding on most of the the lower class women. So it seems like there actually is some legitimate um, emotional connection yeah. uh, that she feels towards her. She um, she's feeding on her, and she may end up killing her um, because that's her nature. Right. And I think that that is the they're like the crux of the problem is that Carmilla regardless of her own feelings and intentions on the matter cannot uh, she can't escape her her vampiric nature like it's just gonna happen um i don't think she gets as like with her name um uh, being bound to it she's also bound to this i'm going to kill anything that i love mm-hmm. uh and she's like she's been doing this for a long time she's a couple hundred years old right so I don't think that there has been times where she could like that. That's why she was able to go. Okay. Three months is probably about as long as I can. I'm going to get out of this, you know, before we just got to, you know, finish up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's interesting that she can kind of keep her. And, and it may have gone longer than that, but that was her initial like estimation of, well, I'm attracted to Laura about this far, so three months is maybe about as good as we can get. Um, yeah, and if she was and if she was able or if she was willing and indeed able to turn Laura into also a vampire, um, that could have changed things. I believe there are. Um, it's obviously not the same author. It's a thing, something more recent. Um, have been uh, sequel written to that written about this um as in novel form as far or as well as um the story just being done in many um iterations the uh the as i mentioned the the crunch scene trilogy um uh i would like to look into that and see how everything's kind of portrayed um that will be the vampire lovers from 1970 lust for a vampire from 71 and then twins of evil which i think is a prologue to the whole thing i mean also <laughs> 1971 um that twins of evil might be the more <clears throat> interesting one simply because that is set during the Constein family being a thing like they're around and not, mm-hmm. not just this ruin of, a, of an old family. Um, and then, the, of course, The Vampire Lovers, is, the first film, is a, the direct adaptation um, of the Carmilla novel. So, at the very least, um, uh, I think I, I, I picked that one up. So, I have to wait for that to arrive via ye old airmail, roadmail, whatever. <laughs> the, mail. the other ones are on um on prime either for rent uh or in the case of i believe twins of evil is on amazon prime as just a regular uh, watchable thing on amazon prime. <laughs> um, so i may watch that one first uh, <clears throat> which is i guess good given that it is the prologue um and it's the one that i have immediately available to me without having to rent it or um purchase it and wait for it to show up um, yes so that will be interesting. I, I did like the, uh, as we mentioned, the nod of um, Lady Durward 
um, being a descendant of the Karnsteins within uh, Captain Kronos lore and how yes. uh, that just gave her the power of googly eyes, even if she googly eyed herself in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's still a good. That's a great trick. The, re, the reflective it is. Uh, sword sheath. It's so cool. It, it, it it's a, mm. it's a really like oh what hypnosis vampires haha you that's you yourself. Um, Milarka. Even, <laughs> even though anyone that's played any sort of either tabletop or video game RPG knows that <laughs> monsters typically have immunity to their own abilities. <laughs> Even if you use reflect, <laughs> it worked in this case. You should have um, thrown a phoenix down at her. Yep, or just a holy water. I mean, a healing spell. Yeah, mm-hmm. dad, you hurts you. Uh, yep. So that, like I said, there's not. All, this is a, this is a novella. It's not very long. Um, it ends with them beheading uh, Carmilla in her little bloodbath. Um, yep. Uh, which that that it's super weird because they I think that narrative lost me a little bit too in the in the book they encounter her previously um, mm-hmm. and she basically manhandles I think the general hurts hurts his arm um, mm-hmm. he tries to kill her with his magical sword um, and she's just like ain't having a fam and just grabs him and chucks him and then teleports away um, to her bloodbed. Yes. Uh, that's a little weird. Um, you know, it's, it's all wrapped up like super in a rush and very neatly. Like they just open the, they open the sarcophagus thing and then just, she's, she's looking at them. Like in the novel, she's staring at everybody. Like her eyes are yeah. open and they cut off her head. It's like, yeah. uh, dude, she just like, she could probably beat the crap out of all y'all. Like what? <laughs> they just had to end it like super fast. Like, uh, uh, yeah, that, you just chopped her head off. It's fine. Yeah, there, it's <clears> actually <throat> slightly more uh, fulfilling. <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. Slightly more fulfilling in the uh, in the radio drama. Um, they uh, she just vanishes. Uh, everybody's like, "Well, the castle's like five blocks away, so we'll just head there because that's where she's got to be." Um, and they get there. And uh, Carmilla starts uh, speaking to Laura telepathically, begging her to help her. Um, And so Laura has an attack and is attended to by her father as uh, the general uh, discovers Carmilla and, and, and cuts off her head. There's slightly more pathos involved because it is literally her just begging Laura to help her somehow in any way that she can before that, her death. That's way better. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it could have been better than that, but that's better than just a novel. They did not yeah. have that. Like there was no, there was no, that, that gives a nicer connection. I think more, more on their relationship and more of what Carmilla may ultimately want you know, yes. from, from Laura or what Laura can provide um, her. She she could be the Renfield to Carmilla's Dracula. Yes, but that did, um, that was not to be. Carmilla gets her head chopped off. Um, uh, and there's also a little uh, there's also a little uh, a little bit afterwards. I believe uh, uh, 
in the radio drama, it ends with Laura at 25 talking, recalling the events and how she recovered and everything. But every once in a while, she gets like a, a tiny cold uh, thrill and thinks of, of Carmela and her dark, lovely dark hair and feels regret. The, the book does something similar. Um, it, it wraps up with uh, our, at the time, our, of course, our present day um, narrator, <clears throat> Laura. And uh, she's she's doing that same sort of like regrettable lament. Um, she's like, yeah, this was a horrible episode, but I can, uh, even just sitting here, I, I think I can hear Carmilla's footsteps like outside the study. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like she can still at any moment just show up. Uh, and I, and I believe that's what the um, the sequel deals with Carmilla not having actually been vanquished, um, <laughs> even, though that, because even though she, she was can, decapitated. She was decapitated, but she could turn into a blob. Blobs don't oh, have that's heads. That's right. And, that's right. Yeah. Haha! I tricked you. I move. It, it looked like you cut off my head, but my brain. I just moved it into my chest cavity. Yeah. Or. Um, what they could have and should have addressed uh, is her her <laughs> her mother slash servants and the uh, there's like other servants in there and it takes the time to call out that they're spooky yes and then they don't show up again yeah and it's like where they're not on a secret mission they're just she just vanished you know she just sent them on their way so she could snack. Um, yeah, which doesn't so make any sense. Why at aren't some they point, there? To, they, they should just be chilling out in the castle, Karnstein, defending her when she's sleeping in her little bed. Yeah, like, that, is, that, is, that doesn't make any sense. If you have you, and, she has a bunch of like, and they were, um, when they described the servants, there's a bunch of dudes too, and <laughs> the uh, Laura and her father were like, those guys look like crazy, powerful mercenary dudes, and. They're, but they're very fast at like picking things up, so they just look like really good servants. But they're also spooky looking. Um, where are those guys? They're obviously like thralls or something. And then it just <laughs> like hand waves. They're like, oh, they were just out for a stroll when she's in danger, because that's aren't, isn't that their purpose is to protect her? I don't I don't understand. Listen, Dave. This story isn't about the logistics of how she she pulls off her her high level vampire crimes. It's about the the friendships that are forged during her high level vampire crimes. Yeah. Well, maybe the maybe the movies will address some of this. Um, I will endeavor to watch all three of them and <laughs> get it all unpacked, and so we can understand the true Carmilla. Yeah, I think that's, unless there's anything else, I, I'm glad that you were able to listen to the radio play, which sounds like it may have been actually more fun than than, than the thing that I read, which was good. I enjoyed the story, but right. uh, it has, uh, I mean, they both have a, their pros and cons. Like, I got the right. cool masquerade you didn't get. Right. And and also, it's it's by virtue of of it. It's it's, it's an older it's an older piece of classic literature, and this is a, an a adaptation that was made fairly recently, all by all accounts. So they they took all of the they took the 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 essence and just condensed it down into into forty four sublime minutes of of 
ah, something keeps biting me, and also Carmilla's super <laughs> spooky. <laughs> but she has nice hair. But she's got really great hair, yeah. So, Oh, one thing we did not address, which I definitely meant to talk about, um, Carmilla and any other opires, vampires, whatever you want to call them, um, they are not undead. Yes. They're alive in after a fashion. Um, she has a pulse. She is warm. Um, those things may be like languid and not very warm, but uh, they, they sort of like, I guess a chameleon or sort of a mimic. They mimic the uh, affectations of life. I think it's what, ah. is what it uh, boils down to. And, do that in order to ensnare their prey or ward off pesky vampire hunters. Um, <laughs> so that, that part is interesting uh, alongside all of the, the general sunlight. Okay. Prayer is bad. Chopping off the head. Yeah. Um, I guess if they are more alive, if they're just another version, um, the book, because this is written when it was um, some of the, the verbiage and references, I think, aren't the same as what what you would think about it. An example is uh, Carmilla is referred to as an amphibian existence. No, amphibious. <laughs> sorry, amphib- <laughs> amphibious existence. Yep. So, I think because of that, it's something. Uh, it's like an evolution. I think of of human of like when she died the first time because again we we forgot to mention it the vampires in this are created potentially by suicide yes because she's suicided which is frowned upon um uh, and a a sin against god uh she came back as a vampire right and she has and i guess it's amphibious in that way that blood and not water is what gives her life. And she has right. to she has to dwell. She dwells part time in water, blood. Yep. And then the other time she can be on on dry land. So if she just like swim around in like her little blood lake, she'd be okay. Right. And I think that that was all that was all that I needed to, to, to broach to cover the lore of uh, the uh, Olpire in. Um, in Carmilla. Is there anything else that you can think of that diverged? Well, I mean, I can't say diverged because you didn't re- weren't able to read the thing and know if there was something else that was different. I mean, unless I talk. Um, about it. No, uh, and and I I have been I have been stereotypically uh, 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 scrolling through the the Wikipedia novella article while we've been talking, Dave, just to make sure that there wasn't anything different that I missed. Um, but also there's, the, the, I think, well, the only only thing that we didn't mention is the super weird uh, mention of they're probably also vaguely related, Laura and Carmilla, because they discovered that portrait of her. That, yeah, it's not, it's not called out specifically, but you have to, like, infer that um Laura's mother why else would she have a painting of the Constance right 
who mother who died mysterious who died uh, who died early in life and uh is never described in any way and could very well maybe be an old pyre or old pyre adjacent somehow as well yeah and you could get that that kind of chrono captain chronos whether their mother was a vampire and they did not know right that was the best um <laughs> so yeah there could be something in there and maybe that's addressed in either the films or in um the the secondary later uh written literature um right i'll be interested to, to look into that this um this is not the first time i read this i've read this a few years ago um uh, p- perhaps uh it is uh it's an enjoyable book it's very short it's like 65 pages um on the mm-hmm. kindle <clears throat> so it just takes i don't know hour hour and a half something to just kind of breeze through um there are uh, it, it because it is as old as it is it's of course um there's it's in the public record there's no um you can get to it uh, without having to purchase it on Amazon. You can go through um, uh, Project Gutenberg. We'll have mm-hmm. it. Uh, I've, I'll probably just put a link to that um, in the show notes. Uh, there are many um, YouTube like dramatic readings of the yes. of the of the novel. So there are those as well. Um, I might end up listening to one of those when I get the chance. They're 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 a little bit longer, um, like three hours or so. Yes. Um it was quicker to just actually read it myself than to listen <laughs> listen to somebody else read it. Um but yeah this this was good. Uh yeah. what, what what was your overall like impression? Like how did you feel about 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 this um material? Um it was it was it was super classic like gothic horror vampire stuff i really um the there was a lot of time spent on the the actual relationship between laura and carmilla uh and the fact that it's it is presented as legitimately genuine as opposed to this is just a scheme to constantly feed off of this girl um really actually is the the kind of the crux of this story that makes it interesting because otherwise it's just your kind of you know your boilerplate classic gothic vampire story granted with with a woman but there's there's the legitimacy of of their relationship that makes it just turns it into something significantly more interesting than if it was just a uh, vampire scheme to feed on young lady. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that um, it makes it a little bit more effective because it's basically like a Carmilla, I guess is a, like a tragic antiheroine would be the only yes. way to like frame it. Um, and in the book, uh, Laura's, acceptance of the relationship is there like Mm -hmm. she she's a she's a willing participant in this relationship she's putting forth her half of it uh, right with the caveat that she's afraid of carmilla um (laughs) uh, and afraid of her own feeling there it's it's a complicated like this isn't a straightforward thing it's very complicated as far as like how their emotions and everything is concerned because you're not getting carmilla's side of it right you're only getting the narrative from Laura who 
is almost an unreliable narrator. Like it skirts the edge of her giving this as a recollection and colored with her, her feelings, but also colored with her, um, uh, her interpretations of events um, as she came to understand them later. Right. Because she calls out that like all the time. She's like, I loved this one thing, except for now that I think about it, it was maybe not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was it good or not? I mean, you, you're, you're giving, she's giving like double sides to her impressions. Right. And, and that's fine because I, I think she was, she's an adult at the point that she's narrating it and was a, you know, a young woman, uh, still understanding herself, I think, uh, right at the time. But now that she's had the the you know ten years more to like deal with the trauma, which is what this was, this trauma of this event. Um, looking back on it, she is, I think, still fond of what had happened. Yes. Given evidence by she's she's wondering, oh, is is Carmilla? She's still around, like got to see that that flowing hair one more time you know <laughs> yeah yes her, her feeling her feelings about that entire entire incident seems incredibly conflicted yeah. um which uh from the way that 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 story is presented to us seems like the only reasonable outcome that the person who experienced it could come to could come to, and particularly in regards to how society, i.e. her father and the villagers and everybody else was seeing only a predatory relationship. Right. They're not, they're focused wholly and and from their point of view, rightly so, on Carmilla being a creature that is only there to take their daughters away. Right. And their wives. Hide your daughter, hide your wife. Yes. Um, but that's not, I think because of what we get from Carmilla, like ooh, the, what we're presented about her, I still think that that's not her intention, like in regards to Laura anyway. Right. Exactly. It's just, it just unfortunately worked out that way, even though she is murdering people. So that's not good, but. <laughs> but her relationship, I think, was real. <clears throat> yes. 100%. Yeah. All right. I think that probably wraps us up. I can't I can't think of anything else. Um until until we go check out the movies um and see, yes. see what uh good old hammer has to say on the on the subject. Um and as far as I know, the Karnstein trilogy was pretty well received, so that will be good to to look forward to that. Um Yep. Leonard, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, people can find me online at uh, on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead, uh, where I post things and stuff and stuff and things. Um, they can also find me. That was vague and complete nonsense. Uh, they can also find me uh, on YouTube at uh, Dr. Faust is dead as well. Hey, guess what? Most of you who at least follow me on Twitter already know this. Uh, my video on why you should play The Evil Within 2 is done and has been out for about a week. 
uh, and some change, and it's really good, and it'd make me really happy if you watched it because I put a lot of hard work into it. Yeah, it's, it's a good and video Jay. for the... I was able to watch like five minutes of it before I had to stop because I'm trying to play the game and would have spoiled myself. Oh, yeah, that's myself. right. That's right. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, and Dave, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at sentinel underscore plus. Our absent co-host uh, Cameron is also on Twitter at night underscore twin. That's night without a K. Um, yeah, I will put a link to the video. Uh, that you've done for evil within two uh, on in the show notes, as well mm-hmm. as a link to the, uh, the Carmilla novella. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's about it. I think that wraps oh, up and I'll, uh, I'll send you the link to the, uh, to the uh, BBC radio. Oh, sure. Sure. I'll put that in there too. That way everyone can, and even I might um, give that a listen because I, I, I do want to compare at least for myself, um, the, the differences there may have been I mean the two productions yes uh and I think that's going to do I it for this. gonna do it for today so let's tell the folks bye 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 everyone catch you next time later.